what's up everybody? Welcome to the Hot Shot Wake Up. This is your weekly wildfire update show. We'll start off with the operational update nationally. Today is Friday the 13th, so just be aware of that. There's also a lunar eclipse coming up on Sunday, so anybody on night shift, look up on Sunday and you'll see the moon disappear into a red blob. Totally worth checking out if you're out and about and able to see it with no cloud cover. But our operational update will start nationally. Is that a PL2? That is unchanged for weeks now. And they're saying 129 new fires in the last 24 hours, and there are nine uncontained large fires nationally. Southwest is the only thing the SIT report's really showing, even though there are fires other places. But the Southwest is a PL4 and has been that way for a couple weeks now. When we get into individual fires, we'll start with one that started just recently, and that's out in California, the Coastal Fire in Orange County, California. Very fast-moving, wind-driven fire just on the coast there. They have slowed the progression mostly, but not before it did get into a pretty prominent and what I would call a higher-end neighborhood. There was one firefighter injured on this fire, taken to the hospital. No specifics on what that injury is yet. Uh, But if you look at the photos and the maps of the surrounding area, it started in a bowl underneath this community. And it ran up from the bottom of this bowl to the ridgeline to kind of a plateaued area where all these houses can overlook the ocean. And took over a couple neighborhoods there. The If you go on Zillow and you just look up this neighborhood, the average home price in this, these neighborhoods is around $3.5 million, and they are saying they lost about 20 of these homes. This is showing us that R5 in Southern California is ready for any new starts that are going to happen, and it was a really good job by all the resources involved to catch this thing when they did. It could have been a lot worse, but the air show... And the uh, tanker trucks that showed up to the neighborhood put a squash on it and stopped at around 200 acres. They're not saying it's contained or anything like that, but forward progression has been slowed and I would even say stopped at this point in time. And there are around 900 people that have been evacuated for this fire. So people out in R5, I'm sure their heads are up. Like I said, the air show was pretty spectacular. They were having CAL FIRE and other helicopters just rip into uh, private golf courses to their ponds and taking the water out of there to go try to fight this thing. And the footage of that was pretty great to watch. But again, the winds are causing lots of problems nationally. And we're at a point now where Southern California is ripe for new starts It's under investigation, but this is expected to be uh, found as a human-caused fire, I would imagine. And on Wednesday's podcast, the quick brief update on Wednesday, I spoke about the California study that came out talking about their homeless population starting a lot of vegetation and wildfires and how that has affected the state and their response to these things. So Region 5, heads up. We'll move to the southwest and start with all the big fires down there. The Calf Canyon Hermit's Peak Fire, which I'm sure we all know about by now, is 259,810 acres and 29% contained. Right now, there's 1,859 people on the fire, 
And the most recent update on cost has now gone over $60 million on this fire. Operationally, on the north side of the fire, they're trying to hold lines south and west of Mora and uh, making sure it doesn't progress anymore there. On the east side of the fire, they are patrolling the 518 road and engaging in structure protection in that area as well. The fire managers are saying that they think it's possible that on Sunday you might see a northern push on this fire, which is why they have uh, doubled down on structure protection in that area. And they're expecting some sort of fire behavior shift coming in at the later part of this weekend. On the south side of the fire, they want to hold it north of Highway 283 and hold the dozer line running from what is Story Lake to Bradner Reservoir all the way down to 283. And they've been pumping in dozer line and crews have been burning off of that and other forest roads to try to create this box and buffer on this fire. The fire still is under investigation. I expect that to be ongoing. It is known that the Hermit's Peak was a prescribed fire from the Forest Service. And there's a lot of chatter in the public. And I understand why, you know, they're they're upset that they've been displaced and things like that. But I get comments like, how come you don't say that the Forest Service caused all of this? And, you know, who's responsible and why aren't you pointing fingers well, like I have said, every time I give the update, it was a prescribed fire on the Hermit's Peak. Then the Calf Canyon fire started. They combined these things, and it's unknown how the Calf Canyon fire started. I am sure that once we are not concerned with homes burning down and this fire jumping highways into large communities and evacuating people and trying to save their animals— then we will finish the investigation and have a conversation about who's responsible. But people, just let the job get done. It, this It's not going to get forgotten about how this thing started and, and it'll get taken care of. But that's not the priority right now is my whole point. So I understand where you're coming from, but we all need to collectively take a deep breath and let it proceed until the fire is contained and then we can move on to the blame game that everybody seems so aggressive for me to address. But I, I have addressed it. It's known that the Hermit's Peak fire was prescribed, and the Calf Canyon fire is currently still under investigation, assuming that it is a human-caused fire as well. Moving on to the Cerro Pelado fire, that thing's just chunking away. It's up to 43,376 acres, and it's only 11% contained. I know a lot of folks that are down there um, on the cruise down there and they're plugging away trying to get this thing contained. It's not the most advantageous terrain if you start looking at the fire maps down there, especially on the northeast and east side, which they're calling Foxtrot and Mike down there. It's just not the best ground to be working in and it's a spotty, spotty mess. But all of that being said, even though it's 11% contained, They've done a good job trying to corral it off on that east side. Right now, there's 1,032 personnel on the fire, and the total cost is being said at $21.1 million. They're saying that reduced winds will be more favorable for resources on the ground and keeping the fire from moving to that north and east direction towards Los Alamos Laboratory. 
Uh, they are saying that some fire growth is expected around the division Foxtrot Mike break in the Alamo Ridge area. And this is where the fire kind of blew out. There's a lot of spots that uh, blew across a Forest Service road that they were trying to hold and had a significant slop over. And then there was spots that they had to go try to corral up. But the fire is expected to stay within the planned control lines on the south portion of the fire. Crews did a great job going after these spots. Some folks thought they were going to have to back way off and find a new contingency and have that contingency now be the primary, but they were able to get some solid work done and go chase all of that stuff down that was going to cause a lot of problems when it does come to winds blowing it towards Los Alamos Laboratory. That laboratory still is the number one concern for this fire. Obviously, firefighter safety and public safety, but when it comes to zooming out a little bit and where do we absolutely not want this fire to go, the answer to that is Los Alamos Labs. It's, it's It would just be an absolute nightmare. So I think that 11% containment looks shockingly low for the fire that's been chunking away for a while, but if you look at the maps and hear the briefings, a lot of solid work is going on down there. Moving on to the Bear Trap Fire, this fire yesterday was elevated to a Type 2 team, I believe it's Southwest Team 4, has taken over the Bear Trap Fire. Again, not favorable ground to be working in, and it's currently sitting at 7,552 acres and only 5% contained. The cause of this fire is still unknown as well. And I'm sure this will get investigated as time goes on. There's 338 personnel on the fire, and the total cost is at $3.4 million. The fire is trying to hold the north side where it is, and it seems like that is possible. They're also going to construct indirect line to the southeast of the fire, continuing south, and then west and east. So they're just, they're just continuing to, to expand that anchor that they've created. Fire managers have said that they're going to have folks continue scouting for alternative control lines to the south of the fire, and that's just in case they get a wind event and something blows out. Again, this is just not very favorable ground. They don't have a ton of people there to work with. Everybody's on these other larger incidents, and they're just making plans best they can with what they got. With it elevating to a Type 2 team, I do expect that this team will try to start to gobble up more resources. And especially with more crews coming on and a lot of crews that are headed to the southwest area have started going down there on pre-po orders. And with this team taking over, I'm sure some of those folks might get scooped up as well. Not being reported very much is uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Minnesota. Those areas have had over 100 new starts in the past week or so. Uh, All of them not getting too large. You know, they're in that 80 to 100 acre range for these fires and people are jumping on them quick. And that understory debris still isn't completely dried out to the point to where these things can really rip up there. But it is good to take note that these northern states are seeing fire activity as well. Wisconsin's DNR did put out a message the other day saying they are expecting a busier than normal fire season for their area. And just to keep an eye out for any new starts and uh, the usual, how you're going to haul a trailer and your campfires and such like that. But I would not be surprised in mid to late June, you'll see some crews starting to get pre-poed in those northern state areas. You'll probably go to Ely, Minnesota or 
somewhere else in that area and probably just hang tight until fires pop. Michigan did report that a couple of the fires started over the last two weeks or so was a 20-year-old county firefighter that decided to wander out and start flicking bicks and starting fires and then getting paid to be there. Instantly caught, like from the reports, this individual did a horrible job of trying to pull this off, has been arrested, has admitted to this, and it's just an incredibly stupid thing to do. Lastly, the Horseshoe Lake fire is up in Canada. It's in Nova Scotia on Horseshoe Lake, and it blew up in about 24 hours to 8,000 acres. Kind of a remote area up there. They put a couple crews on it, and then once the scoopers hit it, the crews backed off, and they just kind of pounded it with aircraft as long as they could, and now it has slowed significantly, and they are trying to get around it. Right now, Canadian authorities are saying that this is under investigation and are assuming that it was some sort of human-caused fire just by the location and the weather that was absent to produce wildfire in the area when this happened. That's your operational update. We'll move on to the news. So this week, NPR Marketplace with Kai Rizdahl. I'm sure some of you have heard this program before. Basically, it's a national public radio program that covers market events, market news, and what's going on in the public markets and the business place in the nation. Every once in a while, they will cover international, but usually it covers financial issues and topics in the United States. So they had a segment this week that talked about the infrastructure pay raise and the bill that had passed uh, all the way back in November where raises were promised to the Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, and federal firefighters, and yet that has still not been implemented. It was a great segment. It was probably, oh, seven minutes long, I would say, and they bounce around and talk to a number of people about what their opinions are and what is actually going on with these pay raises and how it's affecting everything. First, they talked to a representative who was part of the committee to implement this whole thing and was explaining that part of the delay was they don't know exactly how this thing should be implemented. Should it be a lump sum that people get? Should it be an hourly increase? If it's an hourly increase, how is that going to affect overtime? Can we afford to pay the extra hourly increase if we're paying them in overtime? And just all of these little things that people can argue about and be sure that the plan is solid before they implement this thing. Obviously causing a lot of strain and frustration in the industry. They went on to interview Eldorado hotshot suit Ben Strand. And if you haven't heard this guy talk or been to any of his social media pages, this guy's, you know, he's on point. He understands the problems with the fire industry. He's obviously very, very savvy operationally and has been a great voice in the wildfire world. And they were talking to him about how this was affecting morale, 
and what is talked about out on the line and saying that, you know, there's chatter saying, you know, firefighters are living in their vehicles. And, you know, I got a couple guys that are having some pretty bad mental health issues because of financial situations and suicide in the fire world is real. And it is real. People can only take so much when their personal lives and their professional lives are getting to a point where the stress is overwhelming them and they don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. And quite morbidly, they start looking at their gun collection like it's a strawberry milkshake. It's just the reality of the human condition and it is a problem in our industry. If you don't know, suicide rates amongst firefighters are sky high. That's why I always say you need to check in on your homies when you can. Uh, Ben went on to say that these problems can be addressed and that pay is a giant issue. And the hope is that these politicians and policymakers just make a decision and move forward with it. After that, they talked to the deputy chief of the Forest Service and wanted to once again address the hiring numbers and where that actually was and where's the discrepancies. We're having congressional testimony where you're saying 90% is hired, but we're, we have anecdotal um you know, there's conversations and text messages and emails that we've received saying that in some places it's only 50, and really if you average it, it's around 73%. So the deputy chief of the Forest Service kind of got grilled, and how they how she explained it away was the 90% hired included people who had not yet accepted offers or pending offers or applications that still weren't in the final hiring phase. They, uh, NPR, being Marketplace, asked her, can you tell us how many have actually successfully been onboarded in this process, and what is that number? What is that number that have finished the process? You know, let's stop pretending that someone who has applied and now is pending in Albuquerque is we're considering that a hire. The deputy chief responded in saying that she can't actually say how many people have been fully onboarded and expects this process to continue through the early spring and early summer. They're, they're going to hire through July is their plan. Next, they talked to grassroots and talked about the experience levels that were being lost in the wildfire world and how that compounds the issue and is clearly and obviously harder to replace those people than it is to find a couple more seasonals, even though those are hard to come by now as well. And that story just was what we know of experienced people are leaving. You know, if you have a 15-year person leave, it takes 15 years to train a new person to that level. I do believe training in the Wildfire world could go a little bit faster, especially if someone's got a head on their shoulders. I'm not saying pencil whip people, obviously, but I've seen really good, intelligent people held back for inappropriate reasons when really they could just crush operationally if we signed a couple things and set them loose with the radio. And on top of all that, on Tuesday, a letter was sent to the United States Department of Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack where over 20 elected officials were asking for this pay issue to be resolved. 
And the good news on this front is the number of signatures on these letters increases week by week. It started with six, then there was 15, then there's 20, then there's 27. So that means people are becoming more aware of the issue and they're contacting their representatives and making a fuss about all this stuff, which is the goal. I know it's the goal of grassroots. It's the goal of what I'm doing. Anchor Point has been pushing for this and they're starting to be progress when it comes to people who are willing to put their name on a dotted line and have our back when it comes to this stuff. Now, the letter discussed everything we have talked about, but they did bring up portal to portal pay, saying this is something that needs to be seriously considered in the reclassification of what the job actually is. And when it comes to sleeping in the dirt or spiked out away from your home and any sort of creature comforts, The portal-to-portal pay, they feel, would be better representative of how we should be compensated over the standard hourly rate that we're getting. All in all, a great segment by Marketplace from National Public Radio. I'll be completely honest. I don't give a lot of praise to NPR that often, Um, but this was good. They did a really good job with this. Kai Rizdahl did a great job. Grassroots did a great job, and... Ben Strain did a great job as well. Great to see the coverage is there. People are talking about it. And we're starting to see the fruits of the labor. And steam is starting to build. And progress is happening. So I put out an article yesterday that I wanted to talk about and just have a brief conversation on it. We don't need to spend a a lot of time on this, but I do believe it's worth mentioning. On the Calf Canyon fire, there was a tree strike and the Lessons Learned website put out the initial report on that. And what that report was, is a interagency hotshot crew member was struck by a tree during hazard tree felling operations to support firing operations. Pretty standard stuff. If you're going to burn out a piece of line, you need to mitigate dead standing or hazard trees that might be an issue when it comes to people constantly walking under them, your holding line, dead candlesticks that are going to catch embers on the other side of the line and then become a greater problem. And you just sweep through an area before you burn it to ensure that these hazards are taken care of. It is a standard operation, but that doesn't mean that it's safe. Like when people tell you to be safe out there, it's like, yeah, I know, I know. I'll try as hard as I can, but there's 65 mile an hour winds, trees are coming down everywhere. There's a wildfire raging, you know, I'll stay heads up. I don't know if I can be safe because my environment's not safe. But I will, I will be heads up. I'll stay heads up out there. So in this operation, the Sawyer cut down the tree. The hazard tree got hung up in a live green tree, which then changed the direction that the tree was going. When the tree fell, they say it pivoted on the ground, so it rolled. My guess is maybe the base hit and then it, and then it turned itself. It's hard to say, but I'm, I'm trying to put, put this together as best as I can. 
it pivoted on the ground and began falling in an uphill direction, so it reversed on him. The Sawyer decided to run in a similar pattern, they said, based off the projection of where the tree would fall, and the tree ultimately struck the individual in the back. An absolutely horrible thing. I'm sure the people on the ground who saw it happen, it was jarring, and of course the individual that the tree struck, it it was more than jarring. It messed him up, and it messed him up real bad. Ultimately, the crew member was transported by ambulance to a local hospital, and then they put him on a helicopter and flew him to a higher care facility, where they found that the tree broke five ribs, um, and he also had pneumothorax, which I had to look up, and that's just a fancy word for a collapsed lung. Something had punctured, and air escaped the lungs and filled the chest cavity, and then you have to drain that chest cavity of that air. The firefighter ultimately was released on the 3rd of May and is recovering from all of that. I know there will be a bigger report that comes out on this later on. Um, There's people who hit me up being like, how come this isn't reported everywhere? And again, it's, it's like the Hermit's Peak prescribed burn. It's like they've put the initial information out there. It's out there. But you have to remember, there's a raging wildfire that's eating communities and causing all sorts of havoc. And yes, this these sorts of things should be reported on, and they will. You will get a full comprehensive report on these things. It's just not always now, now, now. But as I said in the article, it's a good opportunity to take the time to understand and realize again that it's it's not a safe environment. Like, you just have to, it's just, that just has to be admitted. That's why we have safety officers, because they want it to make it as, as safe as possible. But I don't ever see a fire season where people don't get injured or, sadly, is, as, is, it, is at least one fatality during the season. Even if Boston Dynamics robots were programmed to go out on the fire line and build it for us, you would still see injuries on the fire line from repair guys trying to put these things back together. It's it's just whatever. It's The environment's not safe. But if you're a Sawyer and you're doing this kind of stuff, you just got to be super, super heads up and do the best you can to try to avoid it. I'm not putting any blame on this individual. I'm not putting any fault on this individual. Things happen. I wasn't there. I'm just telling you what the report said. It's unfortunate, and really, I hope this individual gets better as fast as possible. But take that extra second to, if you have the time, just get that quick second opinion. Even if you're a sea faller, just if something funky happens that wasn't what your original assessment was, just get a second opinion. Get it, it takes 15 seconds. Maybe that happened in this scenario. I don't know, but it's a good thing to try to get into a habit of. Going forward, I hope we see less and less of this, and you hate to see it, but for an individual to take a tree straight to the back and survive it, this is is a tough guy, I gotta tell you. It's as sad as it is, and as unfortunate as it is, you took a tree to the back and and you made it through. When the report comes out, I'll keep everybody updated on what that says. Maybe we'll get a clearer picture, but until then, just know that you can mitigate hazards, but you still won't be 100% safe. That's just the reality 
of the job. This week we had a new testing policy come out in the Forest Service, wrote an article about it, talked about it a little bit, and some of the responses that I received were constructive and, and very well thought out. People started contacting me about the conversations that were happening in their districts on their weekly district updates and meetings that they have and the district-wide briefings on this policy. And a lot of folks said, and they were brave enough, thank God they were brave enough, people need to, in order to speak your mind and say what you want, and believing that you are being truthful, and even if you are just being truthful in asking a question, being truthful to yourself in that question, that takes an amount of courage to do that. And these people were reaching out to me saying that they were asking about this testing policy in a way such as, why do only the unvaccinated personnel have to be tested? And this, these are conversations that were happening in district-wide meetings. And I heard this from multiple people. And they asked, even the CDC is saying that if you are quadruple boosted, which has been approved now for people over, I believe it's either 50 or 60, the FDA has approved the fifth booster already. But the CDC and the FDA are already saying that even if you have five of these boosters, you still can contract and transmit COVID. So these folks were asking their district supervisors, knowing that, and knowing that this is the federal government providing this information, I'm not making this information up and spewing it out there. This is information that has been provided by the federal government about these things. And they said, well, why isn't everybody being tested or just no one being tested? Why is this seem to be discriminatory? Which, they, folks, there's rules about this. And the responses they got were varied from what I was informed. You know, anything from, well, you don't have to submit to taking the test. And so these people expanded on that and asked, well, if I don't take the test, what happens? And then they were told by the supervisors, well, you'll be put on LWOP, uh, which is leave without pay, or they would start stripping your vacation and sick leave until you submitted to a test. But you don't have to submit to a test. So they asked, well, what happens if my LWOP runs out or my LWOP's not approved and my sick leave or my vacation pay runs out? And they said, well, then we'll be terminated you'll be terminated for not coming into work when you don't have vacation, sick, or leave without pay approved. And so this individual said they were, they asked then, well, then isn't that just firing me for not taking the test? And the answer was no, of course not. You're getting terminated for breaking the policy on leave. Uh, other people said that they asked these same questions and more such as how will this be implemented in the field? What happens if we're spiked out and then tests get dirty and we can't do the testing as well as the government says that these things need to be done? 
and they just say, well, we need to we need to work with that. This is an evolving situation. But the most important part that these district people said is getting people enrolled in the program, saying, nope, just let's not worry about hammering out the tests in the field. Let's just be worried about enrolling everybody into the system, which just tells me that they're building a database. Folks, you can test all of the unvaccinated people that you want. But the facts are, anybody can catch this, even if you are vaccinated. Now, don't take this as church here, okay? Don't take this as absolute definitive fact. But there's a lot of studies coming out saying that people who are vaccinated now have a higher likelihood to catch it. And that being like a variant. Like if if there's variants out there, since these injections are so specific that the people whose immune systems are working with these spike proteins are more likely to catch these variants. Now, again, I'm not saying that this is truth and fact out there. I'm just saying that there's a lot of studies now coming out, now that we're two and a half years into this, saying that these are the types of numbers that they're seeing. All of that aside, this thing's probably going to become a mess, and it is discriminatory, it is. You're, you're saying one section of your population of workforce has to submit to weekly testing, which is invasive. It's, if you've never taken a COVID test, it's quite invasive. On a weekly basis, in a very, very unclean, unsanitized environment, there's all sorts of things that could go wrong with this. But all in all, it seems like the main goal is to just get people enrolled in this testing program that that kept being hammered from what I'm being told is we'll we'll figure it out as time goes on but just get people enrolled get people enrolled have them sign up get proof get vaccination proof who has it who doesn't we need the numbers we're building a database which if that's what they're going to do it's 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 being done inappropriately and probably in the least productive and streamlined way possible I predict that we will see COVID cases increase as we get into the late parts of August, September, and October. This will all ramp up, and then crews will start getting split up because five people are unvaccinated, two of them tested positive, but the rules are if someone on crew gets tested positive, all the unvaccinated people need to be quarantined, but the vaccinated people just need to then slap on masks and continue doing their work. Now, that policy isn't hard set, but I did see it on Hotshot Cruise last year. That is exactly, exactly what happened. COVID came across the cruise. They started asking around, hey, has anybody taken the shot or not? They split those people into two groups. They masked the vaccinated people, and then they quarantined and sent home all of the unvaccinated people. It's just, again, it's tiresome, and we're already underpaid. And now we're asking this whole new layer, an aspect of the job to be stapled on with no new compensation or wages or anything on top of that. It's in, inside of the environment that we work in. It, it can't be a priority. How could it? It's, supervisors are not going to see this as a top, top priority. And I think it'll be very, very interesting to see how this was implemented. Now, after I put this out and talked about it on Wednesday... I was quickly blocked uh, on all social media by the Northwest Forest Service page. I don't know who runs this page. 
I don't know who's in charge of it, but it's clear that they 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 didn't want me to have access to anything that's going on in the Northwest. Lots of people reached out to me and provided a bunch of court cases that went down on public government sites blocking individuals and private pages from them. Now, the court cases that they talked about went back to President Trump, and President Trump started blocking people on his social media, and the courts found that it's a very gray area. It depends on the account. But if it's a specific government account built for information dissemination, that it's against the law to block people from those accounts. Now, listen, I don't need to see what's going on in the Forest Service, the Northwest Forest Service social media pages. I don't. There's, I can find all that information elsewhere. Obviously, there is a disgruntled worker who probably listened to my podcast or saw a meme that offended them, and they just went ahead and, and super blocked me on everything. Hey, it's a badge of honor. It shows that I'm over the target. Mostly, when you receive flack, you're over the target. And I'm receiving a bunch of flack. Like, it's ridiculous. But I think it's funny. Most people I've talked to think it's hilarious. And I'm sure that hundreds of people have already reached out to them and have been like, what the hell are you doing blocking this guy? All in all, it's whatever on my side. But to wrap it all up, talking about these things have put a lot of pressure on what I'm doing and has increased the eyeballs from people who don't like what I'm doing. And hey, haters are going to hate, and that's fine. Like I said, I'm over the target because otherwise all the haters wouldn't come out. And they just all they really want is for me to not talk about this stuff. They don't want me to talk about the COVID policy. They don't want me to talk about mask policy. And they don't want me to talk about what could possibly come down with boosters. But what they don't realize is I don't care what... Forest Service social media pages want or don't want. And I will read your hateful emails. I do get hateful emails from .gov accounts telling me to watch watch my mouth and watch what I'm saying. Hey, I'm just trying to give information the best I can. Again, I'm not here to tell anybody what to do with their body. And that includes eating five packs of Oreos in one sitting if you want, or having medical procedures done, or other things. You do you. I'm just trying to provide information on the policy and what I've seen and what people have sent to me. May I get things wrong occasionally? Yeah, but I try to correct it best I can, but I think I do a pretty dang good job of being on point. I'm going to take this time to thank all of the subscribers to the Substack. All of this wouldn't be possible without that if you want to contribute to firefighter donations and charities as part of our community, and we've given out thousands and thousands of dollars already this year, it's just $6 when you sign up to our Substack, and that makes everything that the Hotshot Wake Up does possible, keeps everything coming. You get more podcasts, more articles, more workouts, and it supports the Wildland Firefighter community. Very appreciative of everybody who is a part of that, and the support has honestly been humbling. With all that being said, remember you got to check in on your homies. If they're on a different crew, if they're on an engine, if it's just people you know who are outside of fire, but you've heard they're having a rough go, hey, pick up that phone. As we heard in an earlier segment, 
it's a tough time for a lot of people, and just reaching out can make a huge difference. So reach out to your homie, see if they're doing okay. Hydrate, stretch. I know, I know a lot of you aren't stretching. I know you're not. But you should stretch even though you're tired, get limber. Quality calories count when you can get them. I know it's tough on fire. But remember, you got to wake up, put on your boots, and go out there and get it done. <laughs>